Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand. We would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here. It's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here. We've all got to give a little here. Big and small here. There's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here. We all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here. There is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here. Everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. It's the most famous story anywhere in Scripture. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And then... He came to his senses. So, for about 10 years now, I've been working as a pastoral counselor, as a psychotherapist, and I've discovered two of the most difficult things for people to be able to accept as they work through the therapy process is, number one, when they have brought pain into the lives of others, and then, number two, when they have to set about the purpose of forgiving themselves for the pain they've brought into the lives of others. And you say, wouldn't it be easier for those folks if they didn't have to see the pain they brought into the lives of others in the first place? Well, yeah, this might be true. But the bottom line is, unless you have narcissistic personality disorder, when you've brought pain into the lives of others, you know it at some level of your being, and eventually it has to come out. And once it comes out, the extremely hard work begins of forgiving yourself, of showing compassion to yourself, and that is why this is the most important story Jesus ever told. A father had two sons. And the younger of the sons recognized it was time for him to break away from home and set out on his own in the world. And note, this is, in fact, typical adolescent behavior. Young people come to their teen years, and now it's time for them to differentiate from mom and dad, to individuate, to become who they were meant to be. And in the process, they have to separate from mom and dad. And boys and girls do it two totally different ways. Boys turn about 15, and then they stop speaking. They use about three words a month. Sometimes they don't need that many. Only two will do. Otherwise, they just kind of maybe grunt and sigh occasionally. And if they're actually not just staying sullen in the house, what they do is get in the car after they have their driver's license, and they just leave. They just bodily depart. 
And I know it's not easy, moms and dads, but if you wait until they're 25, I'm telling you, you get your five-year-old back. It just takes a little while for them to work through that, but I'm telling you, you do get your five-year-old back. Girls, completely different. Girls do not flee from home. Girls stay in the house and separate from you verbally. And they take the allotment of words that once was given to their brothers. And they use those words and many, many more to tell you just how stupid you are as parents and everything that's wrong with you. Now, there are two reasons they discover all these things wrong with you. The first is, there's a whole lot of stuff wrong with you. And so now, in their teen years, they kind of figure that out, and they feel like it's their divine appointed job to inform you of those things. And truth be told, maybe it is. But there's a second reason they find things wrong with us then, because it's in their vested interest to find things wrong with us. Would you really ever separate from the people who provide your every need, unless you could find something significantly wrong with them. So if finding things wrong with us helps them to be able to separate from home, those things are good. But as difficult as those years become, generally speaking, none of us want to see our parents dead. At least not most of the time. Apparently not the case in the story Jesus is telling. Because the younger brother comes to the father and says, I want my third of the family inheritance. In their culture, as in ours, you did not get your inheritance until your parents passed away. So basically, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And note, there would have been any one of a number of responses that would have been appropriate from the father. There's no one-size-fits-all for parenting. We all have to figure it out on our own. It would have been appropriate for the father to say, yeah, right, I'm going to give you your third of the family inheritance. You can't even clean your bedroom. That would have been appropriate, probably what I would have opted for. For whatever reason, this father decides to go ahead and give his son, the one-third of the family inheritance that would eventually have been his. And what does he do? He takes off immediately to Florida to a party university where he drinks away his freshman year. <laughs> he squanders the entire family fortune over six years, finally manages somehow to stitch together a degree in English literature, which of course is going to do him no good whatsoever in the real world. And so now he has to get a job, and he goes back to the only thing he knows, farming. Only then there's a famine in the land, and the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. There is no animal more unclean than a pig. Basically, Jesus is saying, yeah, the young man hit rock bottom. And Luke tells us, Jesus tells us in the story, he came to his senses. You ever come to your senses? You know, best I can figure, there are three main ways in which we come to our senses. The first is through guilt, which is very helpful in our lives. Shame is believing you are bad, not good. Shame is never good. Guilt is recognizing you've done something that hurts someone else, and guilt serves a purpose in your life. It brings you to your senses. You've done something that hurts someone you love. And there's a regular process for us to deal with and get through our guilt. First is to acknowledge the mistake that we've made. Second is to attempt some kind of restitution, though often that's just symbolic because the damage has already been done. Then it is to figure out why we've done what we've done and make sure we're not going to do it again. 
It's asking forgiveness, and then it's not our responsibility as to whether or not we are forgiven. That's the other person's life. And then we must do the most difficult thing of all. We have to get to the point where we're willing to forgive ourselves so that we can move on. Now, here's the sad part. For most of us, we get pretty good at this because there are many, many times in our lives that we hurt those we love. And so we learn eventually how to work through our guilt. That's the first kind of coming to your senses. We all know that. There's a second kind of coming to your senses. It's a little more rare to see people willing to do it. For the last 500 years or so, we've had this assumption in the Western world that what drives us is the desire to know the truth, that we are a truth-based species, that more than anything else, we believe the words of Jesus that the truth sets us free. I mean, it's a marvelous notion. It's just not true. We know the truth of the species is that we care about belonging more than we care about standing up for the truth. This is a reality. So I finished seminary in my late 20s, and by the time I finished seminary, I'd figured out there is nothing wrong with gay relationships. That those passages of scripture where all the evangelicals say it's wrong simply were not adequately or accurately being translated. Did I do something about it? Well, no because I was a part of a denomination of 6,000 churches, and I had leadership in that, and I was the fifth generation in that denomination, and I knew thousands of people, and do I really have to leave for the sake of the truth? And I simply did not. I convinced myself it was okay to stay in that denomination and bring about change from the inside, which I actually was able to convince myself was okay until I transitioned and realized it had never been okay. People were dying because I wouldn't take a stand because thousands like me who knew the truth would not take a stand. And I came to my senses much too late. I see this often as a counselor. People come to me and eventually they begin talking about the abuse that occurred in their family of origin, often at the hands of the father. And they finally gain the strength, and I love when they do, to confront the perpetrator. And then they say, I know the rest of my family is aware of what my father did. I know they will back me up in this. Everyone knows what the truth is. And I have to tell them the bad news that in my personal experience, rarely will the rest of the family stand up for you. Even though they know that truth, they're more interested in belonging than they are in speaking the truth. And so I tell them, unfortunately, there's a good chance you might be confronting the perpetrator alone, and way too often that's exactly what happens. It is difficult for us to have to come to the point where we realize we're more interested in belonging than we are in following the truth. And when you come to your senses in that way, it is difficult to work through that. Probably the most difficult way in which to work through coming to your senses relates to our shadow sides. We all have strengths, and those strengths tend to stay with us throughout life. But those strengths taken to an extreme become our weaknesses. Most of the weaknesses we have are our strengths 
taken to an extreme. They are the flip side of our strengths. And have you noticed most of the strengths you have were strengths when you were a child, and they are strengths as an adult. Our strengths stay with us throughout our lives. So do the shadow sides of those strengths. Our weaknesses tend to be consistent. I call these our standing shadows. They get us in trouble when we're 12. They get us in trouble when we're 18. And then we're 50 and we're like, seriously? The same area? I'm still getting myself in trouble? And oh, I'm so sorry. I hate to tell you this, but you're doing the same thing at 70. These are, in fact, our abiding shadow side. And there's really not a lot you can do about them, except, first of all, to name them, to recognize them, and to be open to others when they tell you about them, to own the reality of them. And then you must keep them under lock and key as often as possible so you bring about less pain in the world by allowing these abiding shadows to wreak their havoc among those you love. And then you have to do the hardest work of all. You have to forgive yourself for these abiding shadows. And I'm here to tell you, not many people ever get there, but it's so critically important because if you don't forgive yourself for your own abiding shadows, you will not forgive the abiding shadows of others. I'm going to say that again. If you don't forgive your own abiding shadows, you will not forgive the abiding shadows of others. You will expect perfection of them just as you were expecting perfection of yourself, and that's not fair to you or to them. The only way to be fair to the abiding shadows of others, to show grace toward those shadows, is to forgive yourself for your own that is probably the hardest way to come to your senses. So which of the three is true with this particular young man? Honestly, I don't think any of them are. What is the sense to which he came? It's hunger. He is starving. So he heads home. I mean, he puts together a plan. Yeah, he'll apologize to his father. He knows that's what might get him some food. But has he really repented? We don't know. And he gets toward home, and he sees his father running toward me. Now, Toward him. Now, now, if I see my father running toward me and I have squandered the family fortune on loose living, I'm probably going to turn around and run in the other direction, right? You know, wouldn't most of us? He sees his father running toward him when he's a long way from home. What is his father doing out there a long way from home? The father's been out there looking for him the whole time. The father has been looking for him the whole time. And the father catches up to him and says to his servants, bring a ring and sandals and a robe, signs of sonship and honor and power, because my son who has lost it has been found and we must kill the fatted calf and have a celebration. And no, we still don't know if this kid's truly sorry or not. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. And finally, we understand this is not a story about the younger son. We call it the story of the prodigal son. Not the right title. It's a story about something else. Enter the older brother. 
Now, the older brother has stayed home. He's the oldest child, the one who follows all the rules. He's been taking care of the family farm and a little bit angry about it because, you know, for how many years he's had one-third less farmland than before his kid brother took off. So after a hard day in the fields, he heads home, sees something going on at the house, sends his servants over. The servants come back and say, yeah, there's kind of a big giant party there. And, um, yeah, um, your, um, your kid brother's back, and your father has kind of killed the fatty calf, and he, he wants you to come in and join him. The son is livid, refuses to go eat with his father. Now, in that culture, yeah, it's wrong to squander the family fortune, but in that culture, it was unheard of for somebody to refuse to eat with her father. What does her father do when he hears this? Does he sit there and say, ah, that kid always sees the glass half, half empty. You know, he's one of those dark Lutherans. You know, is that what the father does? Ah, no. The father goes to the son just like he went to the first son. And when he gets there, does he confront the son? No, he allows the son to confront him because the son is convinced he's absolutely right because 99% of the wrong done in the world is done by people who are convinced they're absolutely right. And the older son now blasts the father. I've worked my finger to the bone. I don't get so much as a goat. My kid brother comes home and you kill the fatted calf. There is something wrong with this picture. And the father says, oh, my son, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. It always will be yours. But your brother who has lost has been found and we must celebrate. And you say, my God, that's not fair. Precisely. <laughs> it's not fair. We want justice. We want American justice. We want people to get what they deserve. How do we Americans become so fixated on people getting what they deserve? This is a story about justice. It's not a story about American justice. It's a story about the Hebrew word for justice, sadak, S-A-D-A-Q. A word that does not mean giving people what they deserve. A word that means giving people what God wants them to have. And now we begin to understand this is not a story about a younger son who squanders the family fortune on loose living and comes to see the error of his ways. It's not a story about an older son who stays home and keeps the rules. It ain't a story about either son at all. It's a story about their father. A father who loves because it's what the father does. A father who loves because it's who the father is. A father who many times has experienced guilt in his life. A father who's come to realize all the times that he's trusted being a part of a community more than trusting the truth. A father who sees his own abiding shadows and because of all that just loves his boy. And it's the most marvelously outrageous story ever told. So all of us struggle every now and again. And I've talked freely about the fact that I've struggled over the last six or seven months. Whether that was a good thing or not, I think sometimes probably not all that good. But when you're tr transgender, you go through lots and lots of different phases of the process. It's like peeling away the skin of an onion. And as you go through that process, you discover more and more about yourself. 
And over the last six or seven months, I've been dealing with a lot of stuff, but some of the toughest things I've been dealing with are coming to another level of understanding of the pain my transition caused my family. My daughters, their spouses, particularly my son and Kathy, my former wife. And when I began to see that deeper level of pain I caused them, I could not forgive myself, which then caused me to be pretty much a pain in the butt for all the people in my life. I just couldn't quite get there. And I knew I was finally making progress. And then last weekend, we had our church retreat up in Estes Park. And so Saturday morning, we had a Saturday. The whole day was amazing. But Saturday morning, Shannon Fletcher led us in a sharing circle. And the person who set the tone of it was Mara Vernon, who played a tune somewhere over the rainbow, the last one she heard her mother sing before she passed. And everyone then shared from the depths of their heart. And I shared what came to my heart, the fact that we get stuck against the big rocks, the rocks of our own making, the rocks that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves for. And what we have to do is step back from those big rocks and look at the entire vista that is our lives. And then, then, we can forgive ourselves of our standing shadows. Then we can love ourselves as God loves us. Then we can finally move on. It was an amazing morning. Freeing for me and I think for so many others. That is the power of the gospel. It's the power of a story of a father who had two sons. God, thank you. Thank you for coming in the form of Jesus and for, well, for giving us info in the only way we really can take it in through stories. And then thank you for the redemption that we find in our own stories, for the redemption we found in our collective 21 stories last Saturday, for the redemption that comes to us through being able to stand back and look at the vista that is our lives and see you at work. Yeah, we have our standing shadows, but we also have your always standing, ever-encompassing love. And that love, well, that love makes the world go round. May we never forget that truth. And this is our prayer. In the name of Christ, amen. This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. 
You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.